<clears throat> you're gonna have a fun editing job today, Motherload. Um, it'll be fun. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna pretend like I edited it and not do anything. <laughs> hey, works for me. Uh, okay, let's get started. Welcome to the roundtable discussion about the final. Okay, I'm gonna restart because that sounds like shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are the know, doom gods of the roundtable. Oh my all god! Of, all of this Shut is staying up. in. All of this is staying in. <laughs> Uh, you know, sure, whatever, that's fine. All right. Let's get started. Welcome to the roundtable discussion. We're going to be recapping the Take the Crown Doom 2 dual tournament that finished up last weekend. It was five weeks of intense action, four qualifiers that led to the finals bracket with a grand prize of $1,500. We have a very distinguished panel of people sitting with me here. Uh, everyone from streamers to players, let's go around the room. We've got Devastation, Dew, Zanero, and the Motherload. How's it going? So I always think it's interesting when we when we do these, like we name off everyone's names and then we don't actually have them say anything. So like to someone who didn't know who all of us are as a requisite, they have no idea which one of us is speaking until like 30 minutes into the conversation. Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, which voice is which? So I'm Motherload and this is Zanero. Hello, I'm Zanero player and this it's me this is devastation hey this is dev and, and if you guys listen to doom is dead you already know bones and do so fuck you uh this is why we have you here so that you can correct me on a recording and then it goes out to the world and everyone <laughs> laughs at me. i do the same thing it's just funny it is uh so we had 16 players that made it through the qualifiers and qualified for the finals bracket. Um, we, we covered this in our qualifier recap, but just so that we can set the stage a little bit, um, the players that had qualified, let's take a look here. In qualifier one, Denzoa, Langrenus, Animal, and Amar qualified. Qualifier two was Disparal, Ghost Killer, J Warrior, Prote. Qualifier three, Dante, Zakin, The Best Killer, and Cypher. Qualifier 4, Devastation, Ty, Dastin, and Legion. So, if we open up the bracket here, it was seeded based on... Well, actually, let's talk about the seeding a little bit, because we had to go back and take a look at all the qualifiers very, very closely. To seed this, it wasn't wasn't like uh, rocket science. We had some um, switches in between, like, I would say probably seeds 5 through 12. There were some jumping ahead based on... A particular player's performance in, um, you know, a previous qualifier. So uh, <clears throat> the final was seeded based on that. Um, obviously, the first people, the first four winners of the qualifier, number one, Denzo, Langridness, Animal, and Amar, were seeded one through four. Um, and then we had some some mixing up there because we had some oh, players. Yeah. I would, I would uh, just interject. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time just thinking about how we would actually see the finals because uh, there were like a lot of things going in. Do we actually just uh, prefer people who won the first qualifier as the strongest qualifier or do we uh, see it in like someone only plays in the third qualifier as their first game and beats everyone? They would obviously go among the top seeds and we were like wrecking our brains how this would work but in the end this didn't happen 
this didn't happen at all. Like we had a very clear path how to seed people because we could always like uh, trace everything to the people that won out uh, the first qualifier eventually like beat everyone else. It just worked that way that we could seed it very easily. Yeah, I think it uh, seeded uh, pretty good for you there, dude, where you didn't come up against those situations. And as a player, um, after the Qualify 4 was done, the next day I actually went and I looked at all of the people to make my own bracket so I could estimate in advance. And I believe my, my bracket was identical to what you guys eventually came up to. Yeah, like there might have been like like uh, very minor, uh, you know, switching around based on just ordering it like one two three four five six seven in the order of the qualifiers we we did change a few of them uh because we felt like yes some guys qualified after some shaky uh you know in their own tournament they they qualified after some shaky performance so we were like adjusting a tiny bit in regards to that but otherwise yeah it was very straightforward luckily for us and it showed clearly through a lot of the games that we were casting where, um, say, we followed Animal for a while. And all the games we watched were really close. Like, if you look at the uh, the round history where someone goes 2-0, you know, on the surface, yeah, it looks like, you know, they won decisively. But that never ended up being the case. A lot of games were very close. I think that was the exciting thing about this tournament. I think if you took the exact same 16 players and ran this tournament multiple times, you'd have different winners and different lineups almost every time. I think a lot of the absolute top players were very close to each other, and the games were extremely exciting because of that. Yeah, maybe except for the the winner, Denzoa, who just seemed to steamroll everyone. Like that's like He seemed to be on a different level in the finals. But everyone he played, else, he he played very well in the finals uh, for sure. But I mean, I think Lang gave him some trouble still, and he still sure. had some close games along the way. Sure. Well, I, I think uh, Jay Warrior was the first one who started giving him trouble. Like he steamrolled Legion, Dante, and Amar, and that was actually like like he was he performed really really strongly. Against Amar, there was fifty to twenty six on Idea and fifty to thirty two on Pyrrhic. So that was that 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 was a show of strength. <laughs> so like yeah, Langrenos was actually the one we we kind of cheered for to to give him trouble because so it looked like uh, a clear clear stomping for uh, for Denzoa. So so yeah, finally someone showed up. <laughs> <laughs> in the finals. Yeah, and I think when you take a look at these brackets, just before even playing, they were just, the matchups were so even. So we had uh, Denzoa and Legion, Prote, Dante, I like that, um, Disparal and Cypher, Dev and Amar, Animal and Ty, Zakin and Ghost Killer, J Warrior, the best killer. And Dastin and Lang. And I think, I mean, just from before any of the games got played, we were not sure where the games were going to go. And and the cool thing about, you know, seeding them beforehand is that you can say, oh, well, like, let, we, we would circle certain matchups on the, on the board and say, okay, we want to stream this. Okay, we want to stream this. 
And I think we did, I mean, uh, you know, all credit to the players, but I think we, we also did a good job of like figuring out which games were going to be the most exciting and the players lived up to that. I mean, these matches were really like, let's take Dev and Amar's first round matchup, for example, since you're here, Dev. Um, So you, you guys, you mentioned earlier um, off stream that you picked idea as your home field. Was that just a map that you felt like played more to your skill set, or was that just something that maybe you picked up along the way? How did you kind of feel, get yourself comfortable on that map? So, as a player that has a lot of history and a lot of people can research things about me, people are going to be dropping maps they believe that I'm good at. So if I look at this map pool, a lot of people would immediately assume Dev's an old player, Dweller's an old map, and they would remove it. And that played well for me in, in the qualifiers, because I actually hate Dweller. I absolutely hate the map. I can play it if I absolutely have to and can focus for a while, but I hate the map. So I wouldn't choose to practice a map like that. So when I knew about the tournament, I decided to practice a new map that um, I felt very comfortable with. But by putting a lot of practice into a single or two of the new maps, people would be somewhat surprised about my ability to play those maps. So idea kind of struck me very well. And um, the thing I enjoyed about it is that there was some hallway play. So my my movement and the way I'm able to cut corners just kind of played a little bit more to my style. And the map can be played fast or can be played slow, where I can speed up and slow down a map where not everyone can do that. I just felt like I would have the most advantage of being able to study that map, play that map a lot, and just get good at that map. And it's one that people wouldn't have assumed, looking at this map pool, would be one of my strong maps, I felt. I thought everyone would assume King One and Dweller and maybe Mu 2D, because people have seen me play Mu 2D in the past a lot. So... Would you say that like uh, the the map maybe uh, evolved throughout the tournament? Because uh, you say you say that uh, the map has hallways, and you're uh, like you feel strongly about playing in hallways because of the movement. But in the actual games, we've we've seen very little actual play in the hallways uh, because that's not where the frags happen. Like you, you want to be, you want to be outside and making the SG frags. Even if you have to like go SG versus SG because you don't want uh, the opponent to grab the BFG. So it's kind of like it was, it was a very fast map. I felt in the end. Like oh, it's definitely a fast map. There's not much room to slow it down. I felt like uh, Amar was able to try to slow it down against me quite a bit by using some of the hallway plays. It's not that the hallways are intuitively a, a slow game. Yes, all the action, all the spawn frags are out in the main arena, but the deking that you can do in and out of the hallways is oh, yeah. where you can use the hallways. So that's where yeah, someone yeah. who has very good movement can take advantage of that and play much faster from the hallways, where someone with poorer movement can't move around the hallways so, as much. So not necessarily like cutting corners and that sort of stuff, but timing shots by uh, deking in and out. Yeah, I still say you would cut corners. I'm, I mean, if you go back and look at some of my games, I would cut corners in and out, and I'd be looping around with people, and they would know they didn't think I could get behind them that fast. Okay. Well, the hallway emphasis would work on a map that is a lot like Doom 2 map 1, where your hallway is your only route in or out. That's not the case on Idea. An Idea was the most picked map in round 1. 
Uh, but I think it's not entirely accurate to say that weapon control was the biggest factor. As Doom Duel has evolved over the years, we saw a lot more players taking control of areas. They were valuing positioning more than guarding weapon pickups per se. Uh, so I think taking putting emphasis on the hallway in a map like Idea, where it's very open ended on the hallways, it's it kind of it really didn't help you that much in your first round. Yeah, I think the hallways played more of a role when both players had all of the weapons or both had the shotguns. You usually have one person on the ledge, one person kind of running around the other side of the hallway sort of thing. Well, and that that was one of the things that I mentioned on on stream every time that we would play that map was I felt like the older players would relate more to idea because it played a lot like, you know, Dwango five map one or doom two map one where, you know, you're just basically playing in hallways. And that's kind of like for a lot of players, that's your first real experience in a competitive doom environment where you actually kind of learn what your opponent is thinking and, and how to decipher that whole thing. So that's why I felt like that was, um, the map that you preferred the most. Um, so I don't know if you remember that game, but Amar ended up taking it on you, and that was kind of surprising, I thought, um, because I, I know you put so much emphasis on it, but you were able to go to uptight DM map 8 and take it 50 to 45, and so then it became kind of anyone's game. Uh, you had a pretty sizable lead after that. I, I speculated that you were um, <laughs> really pissed off, and so that, that contributed to like taking a 10-frag lead. Um, I don't know if you remember that game very much, but... Yeah, no, I definitely remember the game. Um, Idea was very close between me and Armor, and that's kind of what I expected. He's very fast reactions and very good aim. And I think we were equal in frags up to frag 38 or 39. It was extremely close. And I think he got a good, a few good spawn frags, and I made one or two mistakes near the end that that cost me. And the game ended, I think, fifty of forty four. And uh, when we went to Uptight TN, that was another map I practiced a lot with uh, with Animal, and I played there with Armor before and Denzoa. So I kind of knew how Armor was going to play that map, and I was very pleased with how I was able to. Um, I didn't expect to have a lead that big on him. I think he had some unlucky spawns, and uh, I made a few. Um, good shots at the beginning of that game. I think my lead was plus 16 at one point against him. And then I started to slow down a bit. But uh, yeah, you know, I was a bit angry, but um, I knew what I needed to do in uptight DM against him as well. So it wasn't, it was more around, I, I knew what to do in both maps. And it wasn't that I was angry, but I was definitely focused by that point. And I made some good shots and got some lucky spawns. I think it really shows the... How good the map pool was because uptight dm while it appears on the surface to be a pretty open map there are a lot of narrow angles to take like you don't have wide open areas like you would have an idea king one mutu d and i think that played a lot towards devastation style uh because he's used to that's why he emphasizes hallway play and that's why some players play well on maps like that but are less uh efficient on maps with open-ended like slugfest play so i think that uptight dm was a map that he would have taken because he's a lot more accustomed to very narrow attack angles it's it's interesting to see that come out in the map pool because we saw a lot of different maps get picked by a bunch of different matchups yeah i really enjoyed the map pool for this tournament actually 
you know, there's it was a really good mixture of old and new maps, and it was a good mixture of uh, fast and slow maps, and there was kind of something there for everybody. So I really enjoyed the the map pool. One of the things that was very interesting when you actually think about uptight DM, um, even Idea, uh, definitely Saskatoon, and there's probably another one I'm I'm missing, but it really emphasized uh, chain gun and regular shotgun play. So if you knew to just stick with those guns and play back. Uh, you could get some advantages from people. Oh yeah, uh, there was a lot of ch- uh, shotgun and chain gun play. It it was uh, well, we knew what we were getting into, but I was really surprised that actually uh, people stuck with basically all of the maps. And uh, you've seen throughout the entire tournament, through through all of the, ter- uh, the qualifiers and the finals, basically. You you never knew what people were going to ban. Like in some some tournaments, uh, like if you have a, a, a top league with all of the best players and you get the classic maps, you can almost perfectly predict what people will ban. It will be pretty much uh, given. Like yeah, this guy is good at that map and that map, and I hate this that this map and that map. So that leaves us with just three. In this one, it was such a so many surprise picks. I think some of that comes down to the fact that you know these aren't maps that we practiced and played for years. So Still? thinking about these maps, you know, okay, yeah, King One Dweller, sure, but I mean, Dweller is not really played in many major tournaments. Even yeah, Dweller fell out of favor then. years ago. Yeah, and, I mean, King was... One is the only one, and I guess maybe Mu2D, that's like really there. But I think with a lot of the newer maps, like Uptight DM and Idea, when you start putting this in the hands of, you know, the best players in the world, different players are going to practice different maps based on what they see other players play. Sure. And they're almost going to pick their their home maps. So I think that's why you're getting a lot of um, variance. But if we had, you know, if we play the same map pool for the next four years, I think the same thing would happen as what you're describing. You just know what people are going to ban. Sure. I mean, I honestly, what I expected was that people would uh, constantly ban Weller. I I didn't expect Weller to be played at all, honestly. I just I thought f- it, that people would just ban it. And I feel like I was surprised oh, sorry, how much Dweller was played. And how how some people from like uh, Zendronum from from the Zendronum dwelling school would pick actually Dweller because I, I that was surprising to me and they played very well on it. So so this actually, is kind of funny. So yeah, up until an hour before the tournament, I was under the assumption that Armor completely hated Dweller, <laughs> and it was. So I was expecting him to ban, and I had this whole thing worked out of who was going to ban which maps and what to bring it down to and what I was comfortable with. Because I I had joined a server at one time when he was joke. I apparently joking with someone that, oh, he hates Dweller and this and that. And only an hour before the tournament was I talking with someone and found out that it's like one of his favorite maps. And I had to like go back and change my whole pick style of what map I was willing to play him in. I think yeah. it's interesting that um, a lot of players... The impression I got watching a lot of players practice, especially for the final bracket, let alone the qualifiers, players have advanced to the point where they don't shy away from the maps that require finesse. Like we've almost capped out at how people aim 
like pretty much everyone can aim at this point. Now it's more of a game of fundamental. And I think that players don't shy away from maps the way they used to during like our heyday because they're able to adapt on the spot a lot more fluidly than we were. And I think that really showed, especially in the final bracket, uh, because you look at all the different map choices. I mean, every player pretty much played every single map. And that's not something we saw like not long ago. Well, and there was a methodology behind the map picks. I mean, it, it, it started off with, okay, we want to pick one map from every era of of mapping and, and multiplayer Doom. Um, and we tried to stay true to that, but really the idea was, okay, if you have seven maps, we want four of them to be new because we don't want to see players just stick to Mu2D and Dweller and King. We were just assuming, like every, like like Du said, we were just assuming that you know, they would they would stick to what they knew and not necessarily favor the newer maps. And that was not the case at all. So we had, you know, with Idea, um, Saskatoon, Pyrrhic, and Uptight, you know, in a in a pick-ban system, you're always going to have to play a new map, which we really like the idea of emphasizing that because, I mean, you know, the whole idea behind this tournament was to sort of celebrate the, the release of Doom Eternal. Um and I mean, we're going to continue doing something like this in the future. But yeah, we really wanted to em- emphasize, you know, your ability to take a map that hasn't been played for the past 15, 20 years and excel on that as well. So I was really pleased to see everyone kind of embracing the new maps and everyone, um, like you said, Zanero, not shying away from playing things that might make otherwise make them uncomfortable. I thought it was really cool in that aspect. Did you uh, did you set out to gather a set of maps that that could be played with alternate play styles, but also threw that wild card in there with the pick ban system, so that there always was that threat of a map that they didn't have practiced? Yes. Um, so Dime and I started way back in September. We started talking about maps and what maps we wanted to play. And we started dueling on all these different kind of maps and we would we would try to you know, we'd put maps together and we were trying to figure out like how the flow of maps went. Like we didn't want to put five maps that had the same play style. We didn't want to put five maps that came from the same mapper or the same era of, of play style. So it was a challenge. I mean and I, I know that when the tournament was initially announced, there was there were a few people that said you know, well, there are way better maps than this. And I mean, I think that's really subjective. Like, uh, you know, I love Dweller, Dev hates Dweller, for example. Um, I, I don't think that, that someone's opinion uh, makes a map good or bad, but I, I think it's about recognizing when you have a collection of seven maps, you know, how, yeah, how do they play a, when you... It's not a matter of, of high-strength maps. It's a matter yeah. of having a compact uh, working map pool. Right, that all flow with each other, and you know you want to be able to challenge the players. I mean, especially when you put money on the line, you don't you don't want to make it a walk in like, okay, let's play Dwango Five Map One. I guess you know Badfish is going to win this tournament. I mean, you know you want to make it challenging for everybody involved, not just the old, not just the new. Um, so I I thought that Dime did a really good job of trying to, you know, he came with the initial idea of doing this. So I, I was really 
I really embraced that, I think. And I, I'm glad to see that everyone else did too, because I, I, th- I thought it made, made this tournament better than just your typical let's duel to, you know, 50 bucks on Doom 2 map one. Yeah, for sure. And I thought the map pool went really well because of the varying styles. I think it'd be kind of a cool idea to almost have a mapping contest and, you know, you get like 40 maps or whatever, and then you play them a bunch or get a play test group and kind of say, oh, here, this one's a fast one or this and this. And you kind of detail all the challenges and then pick a pick a map pool from something like that. Dev, that's called 32 and 24. I think I want to hear <laughs> I want to hear what Motherload thinks about like the map pool he's not a doom player like the rest of us we played this for a bazillion years but i want to see what an outsider perspective was on this tournament yeah yeah so i was eventually gonna i was gonna let you guys talk your heads off and then jump in here with this idea but uh so i received the information on the tournament and then i read the map list and i just want to be very clear here before i read that list here's here's all the maps i knew uh, in multiplayer doom judas that's it and <laughs> <laughs> and if you I actually go volumes. back and if you go back and watch uh the video footage of us like casting the tournament you'll notice day one i come in i'm like i refer to maps as this map or you know and now we're moving toward you know and i'm reading and then you know the map and then you know, throughout the day, I get a little more comfortable. And then by the end of the tournament, I'm like, we're going back to move 2D. Like, I really, like, it kind of, like, took the time to embrace it over the course of the tournament. So this was a really interesting thing for me. I had no concept of what were the old maps, what were the new maps, uh, you know, like, who's an expert at which maps or anything like that. I, I kind of, like, caught on through conversation throughout the time, but I wasn't sitting around asking a whole lot of questions. And I found it really... um interesting as an outsider to just watch the whole thing happen organically like it it, it, to me it felt seamless it felt like there was no argument whatsoever about like the maps Uh, i didn't like it it felt felt weird that like saskatoon didn't seem to come up in conversation as much as any other map uh seemed to i really liked the way they played i liked the i think you guys were talking a bit earlier about how uh these maps seem to require a different weapon choice than what we're used to in doom which typically is you know just run through with the ssg and move on and that's in any outsider's perspective about doom 2 is going to always be that uh, at least at first and as i watched this tournament i think the the top best players at what we ended up with in the finals bracket were the people who prioritized the super uh, not the super shotgun but the regular shotgun we saw like langrenous by far just mowed people down with that thing and like pick the long shots and and the map pool really spoke to i think a different style than what we're used to seeing in general one of the ways that i like to think about tournaments of any kind especially esports tournaments i try to compare them in my mind to like that classic uh john claude van damme like eight late 80s early 90s martial arts tournament like blood sport type movie and this was one of those situations where we saw people come from a lot of different camps. Like we saw people from different countries all around the world who you know come from different source ports even. Like we saw Dev, you can speak all you want on this later on if you feel like it. But you know, this is like a tournament, a martial arts tournament, and then like with rules. Or in this case, what we pick Zandronum as a source port. So like some players who come into this tournament with like really they've got it down 
hundred percent. And then we have other players that are coming to this tournament where it's like they are experts in this field of martial arts, but the rule set is different. Like you can't kick the foot or, or the gravity is shifted slightly, you know, one way or the other, or everything's moved over slightly to the left for them. And it, it was so interesting to watch that happen throughout the entire course of the tournament with everybody. And I think what we ultimately ended up with was people who were the winner of the tournament, Denzoa, not a specialist as far as I can tell. We didn't end up with any people, like you said, that are a specialist of this map or the best aimer or the be- pick your you know thing that makes someone a good player of any game. We ended up with best all-around Doom players. Uh, in the final bracket. And I think that is the goal that you guys set out to accomplish and what we ended up getting in general. That's pretty well said. I think um, that's actually the future of any sort of competition in the community with it being a varied map set. It's going to be focused on fundamentals, maybe not so centered on a source port on any particular source port, even though I think what you touched on was pretty interesting to watch a lot of players came in who were not used to the quirks of a source port which is pretty much only it's it's a very uh very relative to doom and not so much anything else yeah that this is actually i i would at this point i should mention dante uh and and cypher dante and cypher the two russian guys who dropped in uh, they aren't entirely like they, they are actually familiar with Doom. They are sort of uh, old school Zen, uh, Zen Demon players around, but not really like they weren't actually in any sort of uh, public knowledge. They, they weren't competing in any old school tournaments in the past. They are names of the legend, but they've been around for a long time. They have experience with Quake, with Doom, and all of all sorts of that. So they decided to sign up for these tournaments, and they started practicing. And they got they got uh, pretty much whipped out of the first qualifier. Uh, then. They uh, they actually both of them qualified in the third one, right? That yep. was like the, the surge. Like they were improving from the first to the second to the third. In the third one, Dante actually won, uh, and they moved. Both of them moved to the finals, and in the finals, these two guys seemingly out of nowhere they became such a threat that some some people even were like chirping about cheating or whatever and it was just like dante uh he went against prote in in the first round and that was a very close game actually that was two versus one and it was like uh 50 to 40 44 to 50 and 50 to 41 so so like it it was basically close enough that either could have gone for for forward and dante then went against Denzoa, got dropped down and then he went all the way to uh the pre-finals of the loser bracket against langranus so he ended up being uh number four and managed to grab a a, a prize a monetary prize so that was probably the biggest ter- uh surprise of the entire tournament because the the other three people who who won out were 
sort of expected or not such a big surprise. But Dante, that was like, he was improving, like game to game. You could just see him being more brazen, more just just in your face and, and dominating in, in the maps. That that was a sort of like what Madelow was saying about picking the maps as, as he went along. It almost felt like, yeah, that that's what Dante was doing, like feeling out his opponents, feeling out how the maps play in real time. Dante was a player that we actually watched on our stream, me and uh, the rest of like the older Unidoom crew. And uh, we we just happened to wander into his, one of his loser bracket games while we were following Animal. We, just, we were waiting for his next game, so we were kind of following Animal for a while. And, uh, and dude, like when we got to Dante, we were like, oh my god, I can't believe how well he's playing. He's adapting on the spot to everything people were throwing at him. Like, it's hard to single out a a single player in a bracket like this, but as far as hype was concerned, watching Dante was a real treat and should be a player to be watched in the future, for sure. Yeah, and he had some, like, like, especially against Animal. Like, Animal is a player who uses all sorts of weaponry, especially on maps like Saskatoon where you, you have, like, a choice of weapons and you, you can pick your fights. Uh, and Dante, actually, like, he... Uh, over the course of that game, he, he sort of, like, matched the style and started showing up with his own insane predictive rockets. Like, like just the, the, the rocket spam that was almost, like, uh, you know, trademark for Animal throughout the tournament. All of a sudden, Dante was doing it as well to Animal. You know, I think yeah. it would be, yeah, I, I, that is something also to uh, to touch on with Animal and gameplay. I didn't see any other player use rockets on close quarters maps like Mu2D as effectively as Animal did. He was zoning them out. He was limiting their movement of options. It was pretty crazy to watch. And then, yeah, like you said, Dante came in like, all right. You want to, you want to be a Renaissance man with the weapons? I'm with you on that. It was yeah. really interesting to watch, and uh, that w- will probably be the future of Doom Dual competition. Like it won't be; it's not anymore centered on only super shotgun gameplay. Not even close. I'm actually. I find it kind of funny that everyone always thinks the Doom is centered on super shotgun play, but remember the original game up until even early 2000s was balanced on way more weapons than just the super shotgun. It's mostly the newer maps that have always made it focused around the super shotgun. But um, map one was all of the maps. Even when people used to play map 11 in the nineties, it was, it was different weapons as well. And of course it is coming back. And you have Judas as the master map of everything, which is all of the, all of the weapons, all of the weapons have their, their, spot on yeah judas is another extremely good example where every weapon is is useful but uh, i think zen is right that the rockets are being used in slightly different ways nowadays i'm going to provoke devastation a little bit on this i think that using map one and judas 23 as examples of weaponry variation is misleading you're forced to use those weapons in those situations but by and large you're using a super shotgun when you can get to. on oh, sure. Maps, oh, sure. on Judas uh, no, you, you spawn on, with the weapon 
You yeah, spawn yeah. with the bone. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I know you, what you're you mean. You're forced in that situation. On these maps, where <clears> you have all these options at your disposal, there are options where they have the super shotgun, but they're playing for a different position. They're playing for some kind of advantage, depending on what's unfolding in the map. And they're using all the weapons at their disposal. They're not trying to control the whole map. With a super shotgun, and that's right. Like so, third, that's like map that's one. Third. That's exactly what you just described. No. Is exactly map one. You use every single weapon in every single situation. Your whole goal in map one is to get every weapon, so you can then have full options in every situation. That's not that's, what I'm. But talking about. But, uh, but in Judas, I, I, you have a point. No, no, no. I, I get Zen's meaning here because Zen is talking that both of the players have uh, like options at their disposal like the players choose to you know uh engage in this sort of 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 style on map one only one player has a choice of uh weapon no that's not true at all you get many situations in map one i had i had i played map one three times today for the first time in 10 years it's the first time i've had situations where okay, both players okay. were using rockets and plasma and BFG but, and super shotgun in the situations. No, 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 so no, no. no. Hear, me out, hear me out. Hear me out. You only get this stand of situation where both players can use a uh, weapon of their choice if uh, the the player who's not in map control spawns on the ledge. Otherwise, he has no choice at all. There are you. You have to. You have to. So well. Agree okay. With that. Well, come on. Well, no, I don't. I won't. And here's the what? reason why. Here, no, here's the reason why. I see what you're saying. So when someone spawns on the ledge and the person in control, that is a situation where both players have the weapons they require minus the plasma at their disposal. But for example, if I spawn in the hallway, grab chain gun, grab BFG, then play around to go and get the rocket and the shotgun. I now have that weaponry, but you, and but a person can push back to the plasma. You, Will you let me finish? But you don't get that chance. If with a good player, you yes, you do. Yes, no. you do. Ladies, you have to frag the other guy. You have to frag no, the other no. guy. No, no, you don't. girls, no, you don't. girls, the, the girls. guy, girls. <laughs> I will personally, at a later time, we can set the date. I will moderate the great debate. This might be fun to do. Okay. Well, do just to stop and let me finish before you interject. I will give you a chance to talk and interject, but let me finish before you interject. Are we clear, uh, dude? As a as the uh, highest authority on map one in the entire Doom community is me. I is ran me. the best tournament ever. Is me one. Excuse I ran me. the tournament. Is me uh, with the best players. You didn't participate, by the way. I know what I'm talking about. No, you don't know what you're talking about at all. <laughs> All right. I know what you're so, saying. One sec. I know what you're saying, but I'm telling you, dude. No, there are situations no, no. Yeah, I, where the I BFG understand. and chain gun person can force the other person back to plasma. There are situations that exist where both players have all of the weapons at their disposal. But okay. it's not. It's not. I will Anderson. We will Anderson Cooper this on a different day. But uh, what I wanted finish talking about the tournament. What I wanted to do was lead it into where there are. I believe, three phases of how 1v1 has progressed. You have the phase, like, with map 1, that early phase uh, before a lot of standardized maps came out. Pre-standardized, sure, whatever. Where a lot of the weapon placement, a lot of the weapon use, the tactics was not... It was more forced than being able to pick weapons for your situation. Your second phase was 
the years like when we had the ZDDL and all like and Z Damon was at its peak where you pretty much had super shotgun centric maps and that's pretty much all people play super shotgun BFG that was pretty much it and it was very aggressive play very domination play related play and now we're now we're in a kind of a third phase where players are very cautiously positioning themselves around the map playing corners playing a lot more conservative or aggressive depending on the situation with whatever weapons they have but they're picking weapons for these engagements they're not always going super shotgun and like and we saw that on a lot like king one like how varied that play is if you compare that play from ted from today to play during zddl it's drastically different how players are positioning themselves and how they're using all the positions around the map in in different ways it's not you know everyone drops down to in front of the rocket launcher and duels with super shotguns at dawn it's not that anymore well i king one was always great in europe <laughs> but that's another that's a discussion for another day uh but i would like to say that uh, there's actually a sort of like a progression that uh doom in the like the late 2000s and the uh, 2010s uh, there's been also a lot of like inspiration by Quake, by Quake design, uh, new school mapping with jumping, with fast weapon switching. And this is actually where a lot of this mindset started seeping in, you know, picking the weapon of choice because you had the choice. You, you hadn't had to like, you know, think three seconds in, in advance uh, how to change your weapon because you could do it instantly. So that's where it started. Like we had new school maps and we could pl- try out the Quake style. And then it started seeping back into the old school design, which is the Saskatoon and the newer maps, the Pyrrhic. Like, you know, the, that's already like mapping with this knowledge, kind of like seep through the, the uh, feedback process. So yeah. it's like... It's already I think, designed in. Yeah, I think um, I think we've kind of come back to the way Doom was a little bit more, almost like a renaissance of what it used to be in some ways. I think there was almost like a, a down period, where, as you say, it was mostly super shotgun BFG-oriented. And I think some of it was map design, where a lot of maps, because you know players didn't want to get stuck on walls, they didn't like having to you know practice for hours to have good movement. And the wider a map becomes, the more it becomes dominated with an SSG. When you take a map like Saskatoon, it has these tight edges, these tight hallways. The other weapons become more viable, especially rocket launcher. The tighter the area, the more viable uh, rocket launcher can be. So we've reached the level where people no more ask for uh, shoot wad tournaments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've, yeah, that- we've transcended. <laughs> <laughs> that second phase that where you where pretty much everyone was a SSG pro and games were decided purely off aim and spawn control. That's yeah, we had that. We had shoot.wad, we had D5M1, we had D5M7. And uh and now it's now that everyone is aim is pretty much you know relatively equal, we're advancing into finesse. And that's Somewhat. I, I think more... that's a slightly oversimplified. D5M1, you can play multiple different styles. And... Okay, but you know what I mean. Like that, yeah. The and majority D5 of your engagements in D5M1 were out in the open. They weren't hallway. Have you ever played Jaycast? 
I'm taking <laughs> I'm taking extremists out of the equation here. We're talking about faces yeah, in general. No, you're right. The general population, it was mostly about who could out aim better in the center. And same with D five and seven. And I think Du will agree with me. D five and seven at the highest levels really comes down to movement. Oh yes, the F five M seven is not about aim at the top level. It's definitely about escaping from uh, when you when you spawn with a shitty position. So that's yeah. that's when the skill comes down. Like and you just, have to SR fifty out. And just to touch on Zen's point from earlier, it's because at the top level in D five M seven, we're all aim pros. So once you have that equal, everyone, the, what is the small differentiator? It's it's the movement. Yeah, the, the typical finesse. Yes. Yeah, the the finesse aspect there. So you know everyone is good at aiming at every map right now. So now everyone's trying to find these little tiny things. And so getting back like, to what we said about the map pool, I think the maps were really good. And Uptight DM had those small corners, like Zen said. King One evolved. I felt that King One almost even evolved a little bit in this tournament. How it was played from the qualifier one till uh, the end. I think people started to settle in. Yeah, I think at the beginning there was a little bit more focus on the BFG, and by the finals it was more about, um, I mean it was definitely BFG, there was BFG centric, but I think there was more usage of the the inside areas and kind of trying to, to lure people either in or out of there, and less about like, okay, let me just grab the BFG and spam every spawn that I could find. But if we wanted to circle back to what you were saying about Dante... Um, he, of the four people that actually ended up winning a prize, I would say that he was the most, uh, surprising person, I, I guess, that, that we could have picked to win. So, but if you look at his, uh, his trajectory, like in every qualifier that he was in, he got bounced down to the loser's bracket and had to fight his way up. And that includes the one that he actually won. So in qualifier three, he went all the way through the loser's bracket just to, um, you know, come back and win. And like same with the, in the yeah, <laughs> same with the finals. The finals he won one game in the main bracket. Lost the second one, had to go all the way through just to place fourth. So, you know, I think that was that was kind of what we were we were hoping for, but we weren't sure that we would see, which is players that had to come and adapt and we can we can get into a port conversation if you want um but players that had to adapt someplace that they weren't necessarily comfortable in in playing and they weren't really used to um and you saw that perfectly demonstrated in Dante's progress from qualifier 1 all the way all the way through to the finals as he <clears throat> you know he would play all of his opponents he would learn their tendencies he would kind of pick up on that and I think he became a lot more comfortable with the port um, with Zandronum as it went along as well. So, you know, there 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 was um, there was some thought process behind the source port that we were going to use. Uh, Zandronum was the pick that was made because it was thought to be the place that you could attract the most amount of players to the event, and. Uh, you know, everyone has their reasonings for wanting to play something else, but I, I, I thought, you know, all the work that went into the custom HUD, all the work that went into making sure that, you know, it was the, the custom HUD oh, was yeah. streamer friendly and, and people were able to get used to the port. I think, you know, I think people actually put the time in to practice and, you know, that's so, got to be something let, set let me, for that. Let me expand on this because you mentioned it. So people who don't know... uh we picked Zendronome, obviously, because like uh, it's the the most commonly 
uh, known port. It's, it's for it's, Mega Man. Sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. The one that's yeah, basically everyone knows it. Uh, so like, sure, uh, we picked it mostly for accessibility. So then we started running into some issues with the port, uh, which was most uh, most of the nose was the fact that it d- didn't have any support for spectators, which is critical for actually streaming the games. So what we had to do was actually uh, load all of the game servers with an extra wad that was sending... Uh, extra information collected by the server to the clients so we could get stuff like uh, player health, uh, player ammo, uh, and other special graphic options for, uh, you know, frag difference and stuff like that. We, we, we just... had to, we had to, we had to actually categorize every stat into an array by the server and beam it to the client through this script that's how we had to yeah. circumvent the port yeah because the port just just yep it doesn't want you to know stuff because of ghosting which is a third party player uh telling someone yeah your opponent has uh, is standing over there and has that much health holds this weapon <sighs> but and yet yeah. there's no server side uh, variable to disable that behavior. Yes, so it's forced, and it it completely cripples streaming. So we had to completely circumvent that with our own word that would, yeah, give us all the information back, and it, that was a painful process <laughs> in the first week. For people who are listening, who don't know Doom, who don't even really know wh- like why we're talking about this, a lot uh, the multiple Doom source ports, Z Damon, Odomex, and Xandronum, un- unlike Quake, unlike Quake inherited ports, um, all three ports inherit different versions of the original source code from their parent Z Doom, and as a result, there are different developmental quirks and. Uh, behaviors that oftentimes organizations like the MDF have to dance around to try to find a happy medium for their players. This exists in the Quake community as well. Uh, in particular, we could make the comparison like between NetQuake and you know Quake Worlds, where we could even go further and say like Warfork versus like Cocaine Diesel or Warsaw or... It, I think that's a pretty common issue that a lot of people are going to pretty easily be able to kind of grasp onto. Like the, the debate comes in like, why is it such a big goddamn deal? Which one we play that kind of thing, which is, it really gets down to the splitting hairs between cutting edge experts on the game. It's like, you guys have that problem. The vast majority of people are happy to play on Xandronum and have no preference. The only issue I had with Xandronum was just the spectator tools. It's like as a streamer, that's a big problem. I can't believe that got like Jahar has gone so long not making a stink about that when he's doing all these different events. Oh, yeah. like, this was this was definitely like we we put the effort in because we, you were bitching about it so much. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, yep, it's a it's an issue. Like we picked a port because it's the, the most accessible one. But it's showing its age. 
the Zendronome is definitely getting rusty in some some aspects. And, and this is one of them. And it's just been like, what do we do about this? Like, holy shit. And we got, of course, there's no way we could get a custom build uh, on a short notice. So we had to circumvent it with this entire really complex uh, extra wad stuff. And yeah, it's just in some ways you always run in into the uh, the, the an- ancient nature of Doom. Just, just it wasn't prepared for these situations until someone needs it, and then it's I too think, late, of course. <laughs> I think we could do a whole other podcast. I think a, a, a psychologist, like a social psychologist, could do an entire dissertation on exactly why shit's so fucked up the way it is right now. And I think we'll do another podcast where I lay out my theory and hypothesis in a row on why it is the way it is. But all things considered, I think that you guys made the right choice for this time and it worked out and the event happened almost seamlessly. Now we learn from it. Well, (laughs) I didn't, you know, I didn't bring it up intending to create a conversation where we, yeah, I'll put one port down and one the other, but I I just wanted to bring it up as kind of like a larger, uh, a larger philosophical uh, perspective that I have on trying to get people involved in the community because I know that, and again, totally other podcasts that we could talk for 20, 30 minutes on this, but you know, the idea behind the MDF multiplayer doom federation was to, um, repopulate in a sense. We need multiple players. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To, to repopulate the, the community and get people playing again. And so, Personal preferences aside, I think it's obvious that more people play Zandronum than anywhere. So, you know, my my thing is this: like, you you start with you start with a home base, okay, and then you get people playing, you get people interested in what you're doing, and you get them involved, and so on and so on. When something is successful, then you branch out and you do actually convince people to play things that they otherwise would not have played, and we've seen that with our other events and. Um, so I think that's, that, that for me was, was part of why, like, you know, I was okay with, with us. I mean, we had to make a choice, right? But people have mentioned that, you know, okay, OMX was used in QuakeCon. It was used in QuakeCon twice, actually. And, um, you know, I mean, I just think we had to make a choice and that's the way that I look at it. I, I've I've found a lot of success in getting people you know, to be a part of the community first, and then you, you know, you move slowly into the other areas. And we've seen some some cross-port play from players. Um, so I, I was happy with that. And I, I think now that we have this this tournament under our belt, you know, I mean, we, we've gone through all the, all the hard stuff, all the really hard stuff, I think, is behind us. If we wanted to do it again, I see no reason why we couldn't branch out and use... For for example, Odomex, or we couldn't go out and run one on Z Damon. So you know, I think it. I, I, I guess I'm I'm really happy with um, even people that don't like Zandronum. Like, and when I say don't like, I mean seethingly so. Like they just can't stand it. Even they participated just to be part of the event, and that's what I'm talking about. So I I, I was just I was really happy with that part of it. I think. It's a, oh, go ahead. 
I was gonna say, and it was great. You know, the event the event was amazing. And one of the things I did want to touch into on this, but I don't know, Zen, do you have a point to make right on this before I sidestep us? Um, yeah, directly related to that. Um, I think when the choice was made to use Yandronum, it was the right choice at the time because at the at the moment uh when this idea had been formed, um we were before the YouTuber Decino running events on Odomex before a big surge in Odomex's uh, developmental history. Um, and now, I mean, for what it's worth, Xandronum uh, was a great choice. Uh, we were able to get the streaming working, was in a whole bunch of problems that we've had with Zdaemon in the past, for example, like no crashes on Map 04, a little in reference for veterans there. Um, but I think that with Xandronum's mission statement has always been about compatibility with multiplayer uh, mods and that sort of thing. And that's just something that's going to branch out as we run particular events that will require that support. Um, there was some clamoring from more competitive players for Odomex, and that's something we'll look at in the future, too, and that's something I'm working on. But go ahead, Dev. I was just going to say this event was great for a number of reasons, not just the organization that it ran so smooth and, and so amazing. And I think the you know the organizers did a really good job at um, handling things on the fly when situations did come up, as do mentioned about the spectator thing. But it, it went off just uh, amazingly. But it brought yeah, maybe, together... Maybe we faked it out in public. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That's the same with running any event. You always think it looks worse as the organizer because you're dealing with everything. But to the audience and to the That's even true. to the players, as a player, I, I didn't see much of this at, at all. And um, yeah, I thought it was extremely well run and well organized. And, you know, you, you might have been having near heart attacks in behind the scene. But from the audience perspective and the player's perspective, this was uh, it. It ran amazing. But I it brought together in the first qualifier. I have to say, tell you that I that was that was absolutely horrifying. All the shit that happened do, throughout the first qualifier, <laughs> uh, the uh, you know servers crashing or restarting and people getting booted out. The the DDoS. But, but you know, even those things, like, okay, it created small inconveniences that clearly were out of your hands. But you guys responded to that, like, with, within, what, like, 15 minutes and had the crashes yeah, fixed? But, like, that is amazing. Like, there are I tournaments about, that would have been put on hold for hours with a different team of dude, people. Uh, and I have to say, I have to uh, thank uh, Hobo Masters, Zanero, uh, what's the, Aguares? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, everyone was really on top of their game, really quickly responding to to our needs. Like uh, Hobo Master actually uh, created a new wad with fixed, uh, like fixing the script that was crashing, uh, restarting the server on the fly. So we restarted <laughs> all of the server on the fly during the tournament within like like twenty minutes. I was I was hyperventilating throughout the entire process, but eventually it worked out. But it was super stressing. Yeah, so the stuff that you guys dealt with and how you responded was absolutely amazing. Like I didn't even feel that qualifier one was that delayed as a player. So, uh, no, good job on the organization. But what it did is it brought together a ton of top talent and competitive players that has not been together in a very, 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 very long time. 
And, you know, you had these four tournaments, the four qualifiers plus the final bracket. And then you've got all these good players playing like practice matches against each other. So, I mean, Animal was one of my main practice partners. I played practice games with Denzoa and Jay Warrior and, and Armor. Like, I think I played you know, almost nightly with, with Animal and Armor as, as well as, you know, going out with uh, and playing with Hobo Master here and there. So, but what it did after the tournament too, is it created that excitement that, you know, duels alive again. Like, you know, I just played a game with Surge. Surge was watching the the TTC, I believe, and he reached out to me and we played some map one games today. Um, I've already talked to Armour saying, you know what, let's, let's continue practicing, playing some Xandronum here and there. And me and Animal are going to go practice the other ports as well. So now you've brought together the people that, you know, you're now going to see public servers with Dev and Animal again, or Armor and stuff again, that you haven't really seen in a dual server in public setting in a very long time. Well, I think, I was I actually thought about this the other day. Um, the, we're, it's like a new generation of players. Like, a lot of us who have been, who we played toward, eyeballs exploded in ZDDL, IDL, WDL, like, whatever. Many, we're, many we, times we, did the eyeballs. We know. And that's, <laughs> Yeah. And um, and now we're we've done it enough to where we know how to run an event and what what players want to see from an event. But now there's all all this excitement is really cool for players who weren't a part of that during that time frame. People like you know Dante. People like you know and like Animal was around, but like like in the thick of it now. You know what I mean? So I think it's really cool to see sort of us taking a, like a more administrative role and now running these events and seeing the talent of today. Go for it. Well, that's why I reject this. Uh, I mean, just look at the name of this podcast. I mean, Doom is Dead. I, I reject that. I reject the fact that, you know, we, can, we we have to do the same things over and over again. I mean, I, I know that there's a very small group of people in the past that have been in the organizing, uh, the organizing world. You know, there's probably a handful of them. And I think the only way to get us playing is to actually create an environment where anyone can organize anything and like you said there's a whole new generation of people people that i never met i mean people like 15 to 18 year olds that obviously were not around 15 years ago um so i just think it's really cool you know and i i think uh we're, we're starting to see a lot of that so hopefully hopefully i think that was part of um, king dime's goal hopefully we were able to to help keep things going for you know, I don't know what the shelf life is that we gave it. Maybe we gave it another three months, but hopefully we we kept it alive a little longer. Well, let's like take a moment to just kind of address what our goal was and let's see if we reached said goal. So like Dime had an idea, I want to do a tournament. Okay. And then our statement or the mission statement from the get go, as I understood it was, we're celebrating the release of a new Doom game. We're going to have a big multi-week long comp blah 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 the end result here is everything that we just said plus and this was something that for for whatever reason was not accomplished by QuakeCon or in in fact let's call it doomcon 2019 it blows my mind that this didn't get accomplished but we now have hours upon hours of high level high production value state-of-the-art doom esports with a dollar sign attached to it out there for the world to see like anybody who actually like goes and searches for this game like 
hey, do people still play Doom? We now have so much proof of that. And we have it presented in a light that it's digestible to a new audience. So if the goal was to attract new people, you know, to the multiplayer Doom Federation or just to the the multiplayer Doom scene, period, we have so much commercial out there for that now. And I'm really proud to say that like I was invited to be a part of that in any way because I feel like I I feel like a complete fish out of water hanging out with you guys or being involved in this at all. It's really cool. Well, I think and, the, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go. I think it's really valuable to get um, insight from the Quake community, Quake community uh, too, because there's a lot of overlap now that we did not used to have. Like there is no one from the Quake side that would interact with Doom during like what what I would call its peak, like when we had servers full of duelers, like you know, taking turns. Um. But now we have people like Prote, Disco Ryan, uh, more names that I can't remember off the top of my head that I've played in Quake franchise and Quake-like games. Um, and they're over here now. They're playing. They're having fun. But it's really important to us to, I think, get that outside perspective too. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, otherwise it ends up being an echo chamber that we've fallen victim to as a collective community before. That's an interesting right. point because... Yeah. I think you're right there where some of the Quake players are coming in looking at Doom. In the past, there's only been one Quake player that I've known that's really played Doom, but it's because they played Doom before they were a Quake professional. Right, and that and, and they're like, they're an out... Yeah, I know who you... T- yeah, but that's like an exception to the point. Yeah, who do you think I'm talking about? Uh, Thresh? Because I know he played. No, no, I'm talking about Socrates. Oh. Yeah, Socrates. Socrates, I mean... Uh, he was up there, uh, Jason Socrates uh, Selka. I think he was a uh, mostly in Quake Four. He'd won a lot of money, but he still came back and he dueled me in D Five M One. I'm gonna say mid two thousands to late two thousands. He wasn't around that long, though. I mean, well, then again, Thresh wasn't either from the early outset. But uh, yeah, I understand what you mean. What I'm saying, he went and played Quake at a high level, won money playing Quake, but still came back and played a bit of Doom. Thresh would right. have been the opposite. He played Doom, Quake came and he never played Doom again. And then yeah. he, he moved, moved along. But now, as you said, there's these players that are in Quake that are coming and interacting with the Doom community who were not Doom players in the 90s. Whereas before, the players who came back were only players who used to play Doom to begin with. Well, it's important to make the distinction that we have. Now, we now have a pretty established community compared to then, too. Yeah. We also need to, like... I think address the fact that like there are people who have actively worked on this. This is not like out of, Oh, oh, what an amazing thing that we've over the past year just ended up here. Like nationwide moose has been working on this. Like it's his child. Like he's raised this whole, let's not have like, let's not have an argument about it. Let's like coexist and everyone communicate and have an open dialogue about it in his discord server for this entire time. And I think that's also been true of the keep to an extent. And it's been, I would say at this point, it's on the conversation that bones and I had well over a year ago. Now, whenever it was, whenever you and I had our initial interview on in the keep and I got curious about doom and we talked about like, all my first question was like, why don't you guys not have scoreboards or, you know, and like it blossomed from there. And then we had this council meeting of like the, QuakeCon 2019 was like 
everybody who had these ideas were if they weren't physically there were being represented by someone there where we got to like really put together our ideas and spend time together and actually try to understand what was like, what do we need what's what are our goals here and it was just this beautiful meeting of the minds it, it might as well have been like the fucking geneva convention you know of doom and quake and everything of esports uh of this you know particular genre and here we are sitting here in March 2020 and it's happening. It's it's not necessarily is it or have we reached our goal yet? No. Are we well on our way? Do we have an established route to success? I think if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to end up where we want to be. Uh, well, I think the key for me was to to almost I guess you could use the word partner up with you and in, in the keep and also Moose in uh the US Quake community. Um by having channels in all the discords and, and, you know, sharing a lot of the same player base. I mean, people in all three discords play um, all the same games. I mean, I, I just think it was something that we weren't really afforded 10 years ago. So we've been able to almost build, build like, like double our player base in a sense um, that way. And to have all these people working together. I mean, a lot of the people that were involved in take the crown were from in the keep or they were from, you know, some somewhere, some other community, um, and they saw what was going on and wanted to get involved, and so I, it's just it's kind of created this this entire esports thing where it's not even just about Doom; it's just about like, hey, we want to make sure that you know something like this that's cool actually happens, and we make it, you know, we contribute to make it cooler. So there's definitely yes. a lot a lot of that going on. Yes. There was actually a sort of like I was I was uh, searching around for like feedback for the tournaments, and there was actually sort of uh, a Russian pride thing going on for Dante and Cipher. Like, yeah, like we didn't even know that Doom is still a thing, but now these Russian guys are kicking ass. Look at them! This is so cool. <laughs> I, it's kind of uh, like a. Like the Lance Armstrong effect, where no one really cares about bike racing, but then when we have it, like an American is the best bike racer, everybody like rallied behind him, and he was like a celebrity. <laughs> that was probably not the best example. Yeah, and then he got <laughs> then he got disowned entirely. And yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't. Everybody still loves Lance. I don't care if no. he doped him. He's on. I mean, he, so he told Oprah and Joe Rogan he's clear. He's we forgive him. Well, here's the thing, right? Like, okay, okay, the guy did what he did. But he, out of his success, he created this movement to donate money towards cancer research. And now no everybody complete, completely, you know, I'm not wearing my, my Live Strong band. It's like, okay, what are we favoring more here? Are we favoring, like, like let's contribute to the cancer research, right? I mean, that's got to be the bottom line. I, that I, This is a totally off-track <laughs> conversation, but... <laughs> I'm sorry I, I brought it up. Anyway, like, like the when are we going to start selling our own landfill bracelets? Well, <laughs> MDF bracelets. There you go. Do we I have the... wear an MDF bracelet? I'll wear an MDF T-shirt to Quake. Oh my god, I know Dude, you. Who's will. been who's been uh, silently in the background? I've multiple times in the middle of the night, like early morning, when I know he's asleep, messaged Human Bones. When are you going to get that merch store up? When am I? When am I going to be able to order my MDF T-shirt? I'll do it myself if I can collect the revenue. 
I'll make the, I can do it in like five minutes. I'll just have the store up running your logo on a shirt and start selling it right now. Well, here, let's sign a contract right now. Do it. Okay. Can I put my face on a t-shirt then buy the t-shirt and wear a t-shirt of my face on it? You're banned. Only if you wear, (laughs) only if you wear it to QuakeCon. I will wear a QuakeCon shirt. I know. I know you will. I know you will. Good. I'll have your face on the back. Okay. Let's not get weird. MDF. And devastation face. <laughs> like you're, We're you're supposed to attract us. people here, not keep yeah. them away. Uh, oh, anyway. right. Anything else about the tournament? I just wanted to say, I don't even think I mentioned this, but so the final res- results in terms of the, the, the players that won money, Denzoa took first place. He won $750. Langrenus won second place, $450. Jay Warrior took 225 and third. And of course, Dante, who we've been celebrating, he came in fourth. He won $75. So congratulations to those players. I think they play their asses off. Um, they really made for a fun tournament. And, you know, thank you to, like I've said probably a million times, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like all the streamers from Jahar to Motherload, Zanero, King Dime. I mean, everybody that was involved in creating all the artwork, involved in putting the servers up. I mean, it was a, it was a team effort. So... You know, I got hats off to everyone. Like it would not have happened without them. So, you know, when and if more more towards the win, we decide to do this again. Uh, I'm definitely going to be relying on people. But you know, it's it's I'm I'm optimistic that we will be able to do this just as smoothly next time. So, I just want to say thank you to everybody. Oh, uh, let me just now that you've mentioned the four winners, I would say that so. How I rate that is that Denzoa, he walked through everything. Like, yeah, Langrenus gave him hell in the final. That was actually when things went serious. But uh, most of the time, Denzoa was really dominant. He, he, did not, just, he did not lose a single match, correct? Uh, he did not lose a single map before the grand final. Ooh, wee. He just 2 0 his entire way into the grand final, where he dropped two against Langrenus, I think. He didn't and lose actually, a map before that? Wow. Yeah. And actually, uh, in the grand final, he was having some connection issues, which I think led to his. Uh, but he was. <laughs> but let's be honest, uh, Langrenus oh, yeah. was playing better on 12. Sure, not, not to take anything away from Lang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Problems started happening, but Langranus was, I believe, in the lead before uh, the issues happened, and Langranus seemed like in the zone. Uh, so I will give that map to uh, Langranus, even with the issues that Denzo eventually had. Uh, then Langranus came in second, and he was the second seed and he was expected to just walk into the final as strongly as Denzoa. But he got dropped in the second round by Jay Warrior in 2-1 result. And like, yep. And it was actually in, in round one in Mutudi, that was 50-49 to to Jay Warrior. So that was like uh, super close. Uh but then Langrenus like kicked into a higher gear and just started el- eliminating everyone with just no mercy in the loser bracket. He, he just went on a tear. Like like he got really pissed off. 
Like, he, that was he played the, G Warrior again in uh, a final losers bracket yes. round. Did, did they play Mu 2D in that? I don't have the record up. Uh, it, uh, the bracket doesn't say, but I think they did. And I think uh, that Langranus came back with a vengeance because I think he won 2-0. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so so Langranus just just went insane. Like like that was like his, you know, the kick in the balls that made him Super Saiyan. And, and I want to I want to say that I think uh, endurance also played a factor in that because, I mean, I well actually I'm I'm presuming Langranus is a younger player compared to Jay Warrior. But, I assume, uh, yeah. It's, well, it's, in tournaments I, like this, where you have a long slog ahead of you, does matter. But Jay Warrior, yeah, the the uh, he was like the black horse of the tournament. I was actually really looking forward to their first round uh, of of this matchup because that was like Jay Warrior versus the, the best killer, and that was a weird matchup uh, where. I actually wasn't sure who was going to move forward. And it was actually like J-Warrior won 2-0, but Dweller 2 came down to 50-48. to Like the best killer is a really strong defensive player. And he like he could have really put J-Warrior in a tight spot, but J-Warrior pushed through and then he took out Langranus. So like J-Warrior really had to work for his money. And then he took out Animal in the semifinals. So, like, yeah, talk about just just walking through a really deadly field. So, yeah, he and he was the only uh, person who actually took money who didn't play in the first qualifier. He only played in the second one, and he came as a as number three in that one. Which really hurt his seedings, but he, I, I pretty much, yeah, like it's pretty much a fluke. Like he, he really like showed everyone that his seeding was basically unfair, like a mistake. So he was the wild card in the finals, and of course Dante, we already uh, were talking about his Cinderella story. Yeah, uh, Dante is kind of like the fan favorite, but it is without question that in any future event, and Zoda is going to be the person everyone will be looking to beat for sure. Oh yeah, like preparing especially against him. And that's where player evolution happens. So, I mean, I, I think that that wraps up what was a really, really successful event. Uh, does anybody have any? Anything final they'd like to say before we, we close the book on our first Take the Crown tournament? Yes. Doom is Dead t-shirts available on In the Keeps Redbubble store as of right <laughs> now. As a player, thank you to the organizers. It was very well run. Very well appreciated. And thank you to the sponsors of the event. Should we disclose them? Bones? Sure. So, uh, King Dime donated 500 Vertigo donated 500 and our our very own Dew donated 500. So it was a, a joint effort. You know, it started off, actually, I think it started off at just 500. And then uh, Vertigo reached out to me and he said, hey, I'd really like to, you know, donate some money here. And I said, well, I, I mean, I think that's 
that's awesome. So, you know, then it went up to a thousand and do said, Oh, what the hell, you know, I'll donate some money too. So that, I, I thought that was really cool that it, it really was going to be, you know, an event sponsored solely by dime, but people saw, you know, what, what, what work he was trying to do and they supported him. So that was cool. Thank you very much. Another act of the community that really doom has been built off of since the start. All right. Well, that wraps up the Take the Crown Doom 2 Dual Tournament sponsored by King Dime. I'd like to thank the roundtable here, Devastation, Dew, Zanero, and the Motherload. Hopefully we'll be joining you guys soon with another event. Uh, if you are interested in anything small or not for money, uh, you can check out Multiplayer Doom Federation Discord server. Also, DoomFederation.com. You can find information on all of our events. And uh, this has been another exciting, if not argumentative, episode of the Doom is Dead podcast. Thank you very much, and talk to you guys later. I still love Do. Do and I still love each other. We just love to argue. I love you guys. Good night. Oh, yeah. We will argue for two fucking hours, and we, we will kiss. Yeah, I want to hear that one. Let's not have the kiss. That would be, that would be funny. Bye.